This is the Venturing Angler Podcast. I'm Tim Harden. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Justin Miller of the Fly Shop in Redding, California about fly fishing the Kola Peninsula for Atlantic salmon. Let's talk to Justin. California with Justin Miller of the Fly Shop of Redding, California. Um, the Fly Shop has had a long history of um, of travel and uh, selling travel to some of the most exotic destinations in the world. And for those who listen to this podcast, um, you know that uh, Justin is an expert on Russia. I think this will be the third of our podcast where we talk about Russia. Um, in this one, we're going to be talking about the Kola Peninsula and the fly fishing there. Um, probably the less familiar destination uh, than Kamchatka, um, but this place packs a punch too, huh? Yeah, absolutely. The Kola Peninsula, literally a, an entire world away from Kamchatka. It's uh, on the European side, north of Norway, above the Arctic Circle. Um, and it's more than 5,000 miles, nine time zones away from Kamchatka, but no borders. Wow. Yeah, other side of the planet. And we're looking for a totally different fish. There, we're, over there, we're looking for giant Atlantic salmon um, in the North Atlantic in the, coming out of the Barents Sea versus Kamchatka, which is in the Pacific, where we get all of our Pacific salmon, like kings and steelhead and everything else that swim there. So what's the fishing like there? I know that throughout most of the world, at least... Atlantic salmon fishing is on the decline, um, so I'm guessing it's pretty hot there. Yeah, the coal is, coal is pretty much well-renowned as, uh, as the last refuge of giant, healthy runs of, uh, of big fish, of big Atlantic salmon. And um, you guys know I'm, I'm a steelheader through and through, man. I'm a way into swinging flies, spay casting for steelhead. And uh, so that, that makes the Atlantic Salmon Rivers right up my alley. They fish for them the exact same way, just like our steelheaders do, down and across, tight line swing, looking for giant anadromous fish. Nice. Yeah. So you feel like you're right at home as a steelheader fly fishing for these Atlantic Salmon. Absolutely, yeah. I, I can't imagine any steelheader in the world uh, would be disappointed chasing Atlantic Salmon. They're, they're probably the most reverent fishermen that I see in, in, in all fly fishing games the guys that are religious about their fish are the steelheaders, the Atlantic salmon fishermen, and the permit guys. Um, and and it's it's pretty easy to see that when you when you get to to sample both. They have so many similarities in the fish. Um, their Latin name is Salmo Salar. They jump right. Not not too many Pacific salmon are into jumping coho do, but um, but the Atlantic salmon has more in common, I believe, with steelhead than. Any of the other Pacific salmon, they rise on to flies on floating lines, super curious. They run like no other. Uh, they jump like crazy. Um, and like steelhead, they don't die after spawning. So they can survive multiple spawning events and head back down downstream into the ocean, get healthy, and come back bigger the next year. Where, you know, steelhead, even in the Pacific, they're closer cousins of Pacific salmon. They all got the one trip ticket, man. They die after spawning. So right. there's a lot more in common, I feel, between steelhead and Atlantic salmon than, uh, than most other Pacific salmon and steelhead. Why don't Atlantic salmon die? Do they, have they dialed that down? 
No, just the life history strategy. It works, right? They're able to able to overwinter. They they become what we call Celts um, or downers, as Steelhead would call them. They're skinny and they're weak because they spend all their energy spawning, not eating in the rivers. But they they try to get back downstream. They don't automatically die, and and it's a tough transition. You go back into the ocean with with whales and sharks and every and seals and everything else that wants to kill you, and you're weak, but strong survive and if you can get strong again and start feeding and not get eaten yourself then you survive to come back another day are you guys using you mentioned the techniques are you using similar gear flies um similar gear with rods reels and lines and technique down and across um wading in the rivers stepping downstream um so all the similes are there in in method and style but uh the flies are dramatically different it's pretty funny um i think they would each cross over. I'm sure we could throw Atlantic salmon flies for steelhead and get them. I'm sure we could throw steelhead flies like intruders for Atlantic salmon and get them. But, you know, it's that old win in Rome thing, man. I show up there in, in the cola, show them an intruder, and the guys, the guys over there look at it like it's crazy talk. No <laughs> way. We're not doing that. So uh, Atlantic salmon flies, 90% of the stuff we throw are all tube flies, and they always use short shank double hooks. And most places in steelhead world, that'd be illegal, and uh, and it's just not something we ever we ever did. We always fish single barbless hooks, but the Atlantic salmon guys are all about their double hooks. Huh. So, what's the region like? I know Russia is just enormous, and so absolutely enormous. But uh, but the coal is, is is a totally different place. Really isolated uh, peninsula, extreme far north. Like I said, we're we're north of the Arctic Circle. Um, we fish them in there spring and summer. <clears throat> so we show up right after um, ice out in, in the thaw, um, and, and the landscape up there is barren. It's buried in under ice nine months out of the year, and the trees don't have long growing seasons. So, so it's, a, it's a pretty barren landscape, just hard rocks, cliffs, deep dredging gorges that they swim up, um, steep rocky stuff, fast water, um, which is what, what the fish had to adapt to become giant to make it up these pretty savage rivers that just fall off these cliffs into the, into the Barents Sea in the North Atlantic. Um, it's, a, it's an absolutely beautiful landscape, but uh, pr- pretty, pretty wild, pretty stark. And earlier you used um, the word refuge. Are there protections there that keep these fish as healthy as they are? Um, most of the, the camps there are essentially are the ones protecting them. So um, in lots of places, we, we see fly fishing destinations that, that kind of self-protect. The government doesn't protect the fish. They have commercial fleets and everything, um, and poaching would be rampant. But um, because these lodges you know, establish their territory, they go in, they set up the lodges, their presence um, makes is the deterrent, right? They're going to shoo off any poachers. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the places even even hire boats to to patrol the mouths of the rivers to keep any any poachers in the oh, ocean really? from setting nets to nice. prevent the fish from running up. So, so the government doesn't necessarily protect them. It's not legally protected, but uh, but but the guys that run the run the camps understand their worth to um, the anglers and the world in general. The protection of them are worth, worth more alive than dead. Right, the world would be a staler place without our anadromous fish so yeah. they, they recognize that they're the protectors of the rivers and the fish is it pretty tough to get there 
it's just an ultra remote environment, right? Um, so the, the one major kind of city on the, um, the Kola Peninsula is the city of Murmansk. So first of all, we, we fly the commercial flights in there. You can fly from Moscow or St. Petersburg, but right now we fly a charter flight, all the different camps on the peninsula, six or seven, eight lodges that are there on different river systems. Um, all the anglers fly this, this real simple once a week flight uh, from Helsinki, Finland. And we just hop a little little four or five hour flight up to Murmansk and we, we un- unload there. And then from there, not unsimilar to Kamchatka in that you know wild wilderness, we hop on the iconic Russian MI-8 helicopter and, and everybody goes their separate ways to their different camps. Nice. Yep, my favorite taxi in all of fishing. <laughs> What's the season for these fish? So the season is right after runoff in the spring. We're obviously in the northern hemisphere. So um, late May, um, the southern rivers on the southern side of the uh, peninsula can start fishing. The, the big fish, the giant fish, swim on the north coast of the Kola. Um, and those rivers don't really start kicking off in, in early June. Um, the second half of June is prime time into the first weeks of July. That, that's kind of the main event that month in there. And then you can keep chasing the fish um, through late July into early August even. Huh. I'll be damned. Yeah. Yeah, that, that north coast, that, that's, where, that's where the big boys go. That's where the guys we, we had out there. And then, so the, the craziest thing for me, like I said, they're super comparable to steelhead and everything. But they go to a level that we, we just we won't see in steelhead world, right? Like... Your life fish and steelhead in the benchmark ride is the 20-pounder. Breaking 20 pounds is a yeah. giant deal for a steelheader. Um, on the north coast of the Kola, guys will, guys will tip their hat at, to you at 20 pounds. Like, that's, that's awesome. But, uh, but they don't start getting real excited until you break the 30, 35-pound mark. No and some of these lodges, you know, their big fish are, are in the high 40s, I think, uh, the big fish on the... Wow. On the Karlovka's in the 47-pound class, same with the Yokenga, just tanks. Unreal. Yeah, the fly-caught records are in the 60s. So we, we gear up different, and every cast you make in there, you know, you can catch a shredder 14-pounder that any steelheader would be ecstatic about, but every every time you make a cast across the river, man, you got the potential to, to hook a fish that's dime-bright, fresh from the ocean, and twice as big as the biggest steelhead you could ever hope to see. So you guys stay in camps while you're up there? Um, all, all the different rivers have different styles of operation. Some of them are super fancy camp style. Um, some of them are full-blown, real nice luxury lodges. Um, the Okanga has a ridiculous lodge that's just beautiful. It was actually log cabin style construction built in Canada, and they took it over on a boat no and way. helicoptered it upstream and built this, <laughs> re- rebuilt the lodge um, up there. The ASR runs runs these amazing camps, if you could call them that. They all have single occupancy, um, you know, cabins per person. You get your own bathroom and shower and everything um, with kind of a, a central lodge house, dining hall, you know, living area, bar area that everybody hangs out at. So pretty um, amazing for as remote you, as, uh, as they are. Is it like steelheading where there aren't big numbers of fish, but any fish is... You know, obviously, such a, an important fish that that's where the appreciation comes in. Sure. So, so it's similar to steelhead, and where every single river 
has its own personality, you know, and uh, just like in Steelhead Rivers, for example, you know, we look at California, the Klamath is known for having lots of fish, but they're, they're kind of smaller, right? If just to the north of that, the Smith River has very few fish, but they're giant, and they're only like 40 miles apart, and that happens on the Kola as well. Like, like I mentioned briefly, the south coast of the Kola Peninsula is known for numbers of fish, but those fish are mostly grills, which are these um, younger runs of fish that come in in the thousands and thousands and thousands, right? And you can have 30 fish days there, wow. but your big fish of the day might be eight pounds. Eight pounds, that's yeah. pretty nice. Yeah, so it's, they're numbers fisheries for sure, um, um, but not size fisheries. When we come around the corner and we get on the north coast, those fisheries aren't numbers-based fisheries. Those are, those are for the trophy hunters, the guy that are looking for the fish, their one fish, their life fish. Okay. Um, and those are far less in number, but, uh, but like we said, it's, uh, it's the most prevalent big fish Atlantic salmon runs on the planet. So you're still looking, um, when, when conditions are right, hooking two, three fish in a day, maybe more, maybe less, you know, zero days happen, like any, any swinger um, nose and can stomach, but uh, but but the crazy days there, man. You can shake hands with, with, like I said, two, three, four, five fish over 15 pounds. It's pretty ridiculous, and you might hook hook the one. Have you had any of those experiences yourself? Yeah, so I, I've I've had the opportunity, the fortunate opportunity to to make it over there um, three times now, and every single time I've been there has been mind blowing. And you put in your time, you work real hard. Um, but you're always gonna have a few days that are just unforgettable. Um, you know, a couple fish that just, just stand out and, and you'll remember the rest of your life always. Um, and, and a few of those days where you just can't believe your luck hitting a, hitting a giant fish in every pool you walk to. What's the biggest one you've got on there? <clears throat> uh, the biggest one I've landed, I think it's in the 25, 26 pounds, but uh, I got a few nice, the ones that got away stories, you know? And, and I've had a couple fish that we thought were gonna be a lot bigger, that, uh, you know, were 25 pounds and the guide was disappointed. That's crazy. I'll tell you this one story. It's probably the craziest, hottest fish of my life. And it was just nuts. It was this, is this nice tail out that just sped right up. It was a nice broad pool, but in the tail out, it just turned into like, the barrel of a gun and the whole river focused into this chute that was probably 12 feet wide and dropped 15 feet and just down the hill like a missile, right? And, uh, and then it just went into this wave train that must have been a kilometer long, you know, really? a thousand yards down. And you're just, you're just uh, so I'm swinging this thing and the guide was pretty convinced and I'd already had a couple fish in there and, uh, and we're kind of, we're standing on this island and so the back channel behind us to get to the main shore was too deep to cross, so we had this little dinghy of a raft on the island with us, and if we had to cross, we had to get in the raft. And so he was always like, if we hit a big fish and it goes for the tail out, get ready to hop in the raft if we have to chase it down into the next pool to land it. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll turn him at the tail, you know? And uh, sure as heck, I, I, I hook a fish. So this fish, he, he, he grabs it, and, and I'm pretty sure I got him under control, and and the guy, he's, he's starting to get edgy, pull the boat around. And uh, I'm like, no, 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 we got him. And it's just one of those perfect swinging days, right? Just like the steelheaders love. It's just a misty type of drizzly, wet day, but not pouring on us or anything. Just perfect conditions, right? All overcast and dark. 
Um, and and right, right about then, that fish decides I was wrong, and it just turns and burns, and it goes out the back of the end zone. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man, and this thing shoots down. Was it just like no contest at that point? No contest. It was just like he's going. And, and we gear up heavy. I mean, I think I had a 25 or 30-pound fluorocarbon leader on um, and 30-pound backing on this thing, and, I, and I'm rolling um, – with a Saracione reel, and it's got a drag and everything, just a bomber reel, S-handled reel, and uh, this thing takes off, and it is buzzing, and it, hit, it hits the apex of, of, of the tail out and goes down the chute, and I've never seen a reel spin this fast. The thing is just singing, and I'm like, uh-oh, the guy's like hop in the boat now, and like You've I said- on the flats and everything. Oh, man, yeah. It, this thing had downhill momentum, man. Like nice. it, it hit the afterburner, and I'm like, "Holy, okay." So I, I hop in the boat, kind of belly flopping face first. So I'm leaning on the front of the raft with my chest, holding my hands out in front of me, and just letting this thing burn. But the corner we had to cut to cut the side channel, the line was going down the chute, but it was this cliffy deal, right? And so the line, I can see it. It's bending around a rock. It's rubbing, burning out, sliding around a corner touching the rock and I'm like dude it's gonna shred back yeah. and like this is we're toast and right about that time he's like let it run let it run let it run and as I'm sitting there and I, I can't do anything I'm not even in charge he's paddling the boat I'm laying on my belly just holding on for dear life I just I, I start smelling smoke and I'm like dude what the hell is burning like, did I throw a lit smoke in my pocket or something, burn a hole in my waders or something? And I look down, and in the mist and the drizzle, my Saracion is smoking, no literally way. smoking. And I'm like, no That's way, a man. damn good reel. thing is burning. And so so uh, the guy, Big Alex, he gets us to shore. He's like, go, 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 man, run, run, run. And I, I roll out of the raft. And I start sprinting down the cliff, and I just, I, I got to lift the rod and clink, I get it off the rock finally. So now I, I, can, I can see around the corner and see down that kilometer straight away, and I've never seen more backing out in a river in my life. Wow. I mean, I felt like he was a kilometer down. And, and all of a sudden I look down, and I'm running out of backing real quick. The arbor's getting small, so this thing's going faster. I'm like, we're hosed. Try to palm it a couple times. This thing hit my thumb so hard, I thought I broke my thumb. And the S handle twisted over at a 45 degree angle, bent the reel like at in half on my thumb. I'm wailing, oh my God, dang it. And he's like, get it together, man, get it together. He's still messing with the boat, tying it off. Now the thing bent, and now it's touching the faceplate of the reel, and it's just scoring metal off the front of the reel, man, just putting a silver ring on the black faceplate. I'm like, oh, dang. Finally, I kind of get over to an angle where I can just give them side pressure out of the current with, with 200 yards of backing, 300 yards of backing out and down there. But he slides along the wall. And I kind of run down, and I run down next to the water, and there's no place else to go. I got a 15-foot cliff above me and a dead end. I'm standing on a rock looking down this thing. And all of a sudden, I just hear Alex directly above me, and he's like, hand me the rod, hand me the rod. And I look, and he's straight above me on the cliff. And I'm like, yep, cool. And I just point the rod tip in there. He grabs the tip of the rod, and he pulls the rod up hand over hand. Now he's holding the stick. And I got to run back up, oh scale God. up, get on top of the cliff now. He gives me the rod back. We edge over to the side. I got a little more side pressure. My heart's beating like no other. And I just kind of sit down. 
and I just start slowly walking the fish back up, man. I'm just kind of like using my finger as a level line to put all the backing smoothly on place, you know? And I mean, this thing takes me 20 minutes and the fish took a couple little short bursts, but I basically just gently walked them back up the wall. The whole time Alex is like, this is it. This is the biggest fish of the season, man. This is gonna be the biggest fish of the season. We got him, we got him, you're gonna get him. And I just like took my time, calmly reeled it up. I didn't wanna get too excited about the biggest fish that landed for the whole season thing comes up, I see it, it's all big and stuff, I'm so excited, Alex grabs a net, waits for his opportunity, boosh, dips the net, scoops a fish up, and I'm like ecstatic, man, like relief, right, and I'm just like, yes, we got it, and he looks up at me with this disappointing look, and he's like, man, all that for this, I'm like, what, it's a giant, and it ended up being like 24 pounds, yeah. and I've never seen a guy so disappointed <laughs> about amazing. a shredding ripper hog, I, I was I was ecstatic about it, but it, it let him down big time, he thought it was the one. That sounds like the one to me, that's a good story, it was, it's a good man. Fish. that's a good battle. Dang, if it, was, if it was the size he thought it was, it wouldn't have come in, man, I know that, I mean, I think it's 24 pounds, and did me dirtier than any fish I've ever had That's on the awesome. line, I think. Dang, son. Rip. <laughs> That's awesome. Shoot, I'd be pretty content. I'd come home happy. I was pretty stoked. Oh, man. It shows you what they ex- see and sort of come to expect on absolutely. a routine basis. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it said. It, you know. 25-pounder was just an average fish to him. It wasn't to me, you know. It was a big deal to me not being there all the time and seeing, seeing it on the day in, day out. But, but uh, yeah, he, he was expecting something extraordinary, and it wasn't for him. Played like extraordinary. That's, that's what's it, right? Size of the dog in the fight versus the size of the fight in the dog. I'll, I'll take the fight and fighting the little dog any day. Yeah, really. So when it comes to this destination, why would you – say people would choose Koala over other Atlantic salmon destinations? I mean, I think the biggest part for the north coast of the Koala is, is, is obviously the chance of hooking the biggest Atlantic salmon in your life, man. Right. Having the opportunity to, to dance with fish of that caliber on, on a predictably regular basis, right? Canada has some phenomenal fisheries too, but you get to see the, the stats from those rivers, and lots of those guys will put up a fish a week, right? But, you know, they might break the 30-pound mark, but um, guys are putting fish in the book every day on the cola. I, yeah. I think that's it, just uh, the consistency of the rivers, the, the healthy, healthiness of the runs. What are the rivers and just the general terrain like in general? That's a good question. The north coast of the cola, like I said, are steep, rocky, um, they've just dredged their, their mark through solid rock cliffs. Um, and that makes, um, makes the fish big because they got to crawl these super fast, bouldery rivers. It also makes the wading some of the nastiest I've ever countered in the world. So if you want to go in there and, and stand on your own two feet, you got to be prepared um, for, for a pretty good, pretty good leg workout and, and staying stable. Probably, I would say probably... For days, for the amount of days I've fished there, I've, I've swam more on the north coast than any other no rivers kidding. in the world. Oh yeah, you take some diggers, you go swimming, you pack extra clothes on the day, because the helicopter's not coming till the end. And if That's you true. if you fall in fall in the drink north of the Arctic Circle, man, if you don't want to give up or freeze to death, you got to be ready for it. But it's worth it, you know. And some of the rivers have ways of getting around it. So some guys, 
you know, lots of guys aren't going to wade as stupidly as I do. And this is true remote wilderness fly fishing. Way out there, man. Helicopter access only. Um, I always, whenever, anywhere I, anytime I fish anywhere, I think about any other new place. I'm thinking about wildlife. Is there, and there's places where there's no wildlife at all. What's going on? This place is pretty stark. Pretty dang stark. You don't see too much. Um, the, you see the occasional bear up there, but few and far between. You usually see them from the helicopter. I think they got some moose up there that I've never seen, and that's about it, man. I mean, it's it's a stark environment. There's not a whole ton of wildlife, at least mammalian wildlife, you know, big game stuff running around up there. Lots of cool birds, ptarmigan, some of that stuff running. So what does one do to get themselves to this destination? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different ones. So the first thing I, I would think is, is kind of, Figuring out what you're looking for, if you want to catch a bunch of Atlantic salmon or if you want to go after the big boy. Um, like I said, the wading's tough. Some of the rivers have the ability, um, they, they use some boats to anchor you in the water so that the guide can, can control it. You're not death wading and stuff like that. So if you need access like that, that's going to help determine where you're going to end up. Um, so the best thing I do with guys that are looking to it is have that conversation first. What are we looking for? What's our goal with the trip? Um, what's our skill level casting wise and weighting capabilities and things like that and then we kind of narrow down where it is and then and then once you make the choice then it's just like every place else get your airplane tickets pack the bags start tying some flies get ready to hold on tight awesome yep well to learn more about this destination and others uh head over to theflyshop.com their destination page um you can learn more about the Kola Peninsula, Kamchatka, Kamchatka Steelhead Project, all that Russia has to offer fly anglers, and it's quite a bit, especially if you like to swing. Absolutely. And you're always welcome. Give me a call direct, and we'll go over all the options with you. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, my pleasure. Mm-hmm.